Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Hello. Join me today as I go on a little soapbox rant about calorie and carb restriction in PCOS. It may not be what you think it is. This is an Amber Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. And I'm your host, Amber Fisher. Welcome back. Uh, it is August. It is August. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm here in South Texas and it is hot. It is very, very hot. And, um, you know, normally I try to avoid talking about the weather because that's just boring small talk. And we don't do boring small talk on this podcast, um, but it is so hot. It is so hot. So I am just, you know, manifesting fall and we hope that it comes soon. Knowing things down here, it'll be a couple months until it's really here, but I cannot wait. I'm super excited planning a trip to my favorite place on earth, which is Florida. And, um, it's going to be so cool and breezy and I just can't wait. So today I want to do another episode of conversations with Amber. It's been a while since I've done this. So, um, if you're new to listening to the podcast for a while, I was taking one podcast out of every month and doing something called conversations with Amber, which is really just me talking about stuff that's interesting to me and updating you on my life. And like, usually getting on little nutrition soap boxes and things like that. So if that sounds interesting to you, stay tuned because that's what we're going to do today. What I kind of wanted to start myself off talking about, and then we'll just see where today takes us, is this idea that I keep seeing that uh, when you have PCOS that you shouldn't uh, reduce your carbs or like cut cuts carbohydrates down in your diet and that you shouldn't calorie restrict. And I feel like it's important for me to talk about this because of a couple, a couple different reasons. First of all, the more influence I have online, which at this point isn't a ton, but I'm out there. Here I am, you know, putting my information out there. The more, um, I kind of try to network with other people who are doing the same thing as me. And that's, helps in a variety of ways because when you network with people who do the same thing as you who are in your niche, you know, you guys can all like collaborate and you can get inspired and um, you can see what people are asking for more information about and content on. And it just helps to keep you from getting like um, writer's block, which I tend to get fairly frequently. I would say about once every couple of months, I get a really bad bout of writer's block. Uh, and so I like to keep up with other influencers who talk PCOS, and there are a lot of them, a lot of them. And you see the gamut of like all the way from, you know, people who are all about the only gluten-free, dairy-free diet, and that's the solution. You know, people, there's a lot of people with a lot of solutions out there. But then you also see this 
far other end of the spectrum that gets into the more, um, I don't even want to say intuitive eating community because I feel like it gives the intuitive eating community kind of a bad name, but sort of in that department, it's, and it's this idea that, um, that I see a lot that diets don't work. And so we just shouldn't do them. We shouldn't calorie restrict because it's terrible for our metabolism and we're just going to regain the weight and that we shouldn't carb restrict because that's, you know, um, disordered or whatever. Okay, so let me dive into this topic because I'm sure that those of you who listen here, you know, you're probably thinking, yeah, I follow various people and they all kind of say different things. And I think over time, as you're following these different influencers, you find who vibes with you and who you kind of agree with and everything. And most of the people who follow me are, I like to think, very balanced people, people who have... um who like to get into the science a bit more, who don't want just blanket solutions, but who also don't want easy answers, uh, if that makes sense. So people are kind of looking with me for a deeper perspective, a deeper look at these issues and and uh, trying to understand the inner workings of it. One of my favorite things to talk about is not necessarily, here's what you can do for your PCOS, here's your solution, but like, why is this happening? Like, what's the mechanism behind this? I find that really fascinating. And I think throughout my uh, late teens, early 20s, you know, when I was starting to dig into the research on PCOS, that was my fundamental search was not necessarily like, how can I cure myself? But like, why did this happen to me? And why is this happening to me? So, uh, <clears throat> that said, I see a lot of these two kind of sides of things. And I've talked before about my opinions about the people who are very like, oh, if you have PCOS, you cannot eat gluten and you cannot eat dairy. You know, obviously I disagree with that advice. Okay. Um, however, I guess most of the time I tend to lean towards more agreeing with those people in a lot of ways than I do with this other group of people who are like, you know, don't just don't do anything. Like just eat, just eat the same way that you've been eating and just like let go of this idea that food has anything to do with it. And I get upset about that because number one, I'm like, well, what's the point? What's the point? Like if there's no, if there's no nutritional, solution or if there's no way that therapeutic diet dieting techniques can help this chronic condition, what is the point of even having a like niche in PCOS? Obviously, diet has something to do with it because there are so many of us who are addressing PCOS with diet. And I'm not the only person that's having good outcomes by using therapeutic diets with PCOS. If I were, you know, either I'd be super famous or, um, you know, people would call me a hack. Probably some people already call me a hack, but whatever. Um, so there's obviously a, a niche for it and a need for it. And that means that there's something going on with dieting that's working or that's changing things at least. Um, so sometimes I wonder, I guess that these people sort of get into, to doing this kind of advice because they are attempting to 
overcome the very disordered eating ideas that women with PCOS can develop. And I think that there's merit to that. Um, a lot of us have histories of eating disorders. It's very common in PCOS, but let's dig a little deeper into that. You know, um, instead of just saying, let's move away completely from thinking that from let's avoid the issue of, of, diet having anything to do with this, let's look at why do we develop disordered eating in PCOS in the, in the first place. And obviously there's a variety of reasons for this, but I think fundamentally one of the biggest reasons is that you develop disordered eating because you are trying to do something to help your PCOS and to help you lose weight and have a, a weight that is reflective of uh, the amount of work that you're putting into things. And uh, you begin to develop fears around food because you see that when you eat certain things, it maybe causes you to kind of blow up or put on extra weight that the average person wouldn't experience. So... Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Are you, you know, where, where's the line there? Like, where is the balance there? Because just throwing it all out the window, uh, and saying that diet doesn't matter at all and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't care. We shouldn't try carb restriction and we shouldn't try calorie restriction and all of this. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like there has to be a better way. And, I'm going to caveat this by saying, because I know some of you may be listening to this and may have eating, a history of eating disorders. And if it's an eating disorder, a true eating disorder, obviously there are mental health reasons to avoid restrictive dieting and things like that, 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 uh, are important here. And I don't want to negate the fact that your healing, your internal healing is a really important piece of the puzzle. Um, and I certainly don't want to trigger people developing eating disorders because of anything that I'm saying here. Um, or falling back into old eating disorder patterns. But I do just feel like there needs to be more balance in this conversation. It's not either or, right? It's not like you can't eat any of these foods forever. And it's not you should never, ever restrict. It's like maybe there's a place for a balanced approach. That's just my thinking on it. And that's sort of the way that I design programs for people. Because I have seen that some level of restriction, whether it be calorie restriction or carbohydrate restriction, does lead to improved outcomes in PCOS. And I'm not just saying this um, based on like physical appearance, but I'm talking about blood markers. I'm talking about signs of health, underlying signs of health, decreased inflammation, all of these kinds of things. And when it comes to carb restriction in particular, this is something that I have, you know, mixed feelings about as well, because I don't put people on ketogenic diets. I think cutting all carbohydrate out of your diet or attempting to have a zero carb diet or something very close to that is dangerous. And I think that it's not effective in the long run. Number one, because it's not sustainable, but number two, because it affects your gut microbiome and the gut microbiome is a huge driver of inflammation. And in PCOS, we tend to have already 
issues with the gut microbiome and what we call dysbiosis. So I don't recommend going full keto here um, and just eating like proteins and fats. I don't, I have not seen that to be effective in the long run for anyone that I've ever worked with. However, um, there is ample research to suggest that carbohydrate restriction of some kind is beneficial for PCOS and improves outcomes and helps. So where these people get off saying that cutting carbs somewhat is like not evidence-based, it kind of blows my mind. Either they're not keeping up with the latest research of like the last like five or six years, and maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Um, Or they are willfully ignoring it. I have a harder time believing that because I genuinely believe that people who are in nutrition, for the most part, want to help people. Um, But like the evidence is there. It's, it's no longer a, um, it's no longer a question that some carbohydrate restriction is beneficial for PCOS. It's a condition that has at its core hyperinsulinemia, excessive insulin production. And we produce insulin in response to dietary challenge, right? To, to food. We eat, we make insulin. Uh, we eat carbohydrate containing food, we make more insulin. We eat proteins and fats, we make less insulin. It's very simple. Um, so it makes sense that reducing the amount of foods that create an insulin response is going to help reduce insulin. And that is in turn going to help, uh, with insulin related issues. And many, many of the issues in PCOS have insulin as a driver, facial hair, um, excess body fat and ovulation, you know, irregular periods, all these things have insulin at their, at their core. Uh, and I would say this is true for the vast majority of people that I work with, with PCOS, no matter where they are in the BMI scale, whether they be overweight, underweight, um, you know, what, what you call quote unquote normal weight, whatever it may be, it's very hyperinsulinemia is, is a keystone of most people with, with PCOS, uh, to the point where, you know, it, it's part of the recommendation for, for almost everyone. Like I've said before, you can't place people in a box and say, okay, you're, this is your diet. But by and large, some carbohydrate restriction is beneficial. And there's plenty of evidence to back that up. Um, now, here's where we get into the, the weeds a little bit. Because what is a low-carb diet? What is it? Everyone has a different idea. And I think I think this is where a lot of people are are, are attempting to help, but in some ways being harmful. When they're saying that you don't need to cut carbs, I think they're talking to people or they're attempting to talk to people who are doing keto, right? And they're attempting to talk to these women who are cutting all carbohydrates out of their diet because that's the fad right now. And by speaking to them and saying you don't need to cut carbs, they may be helping that group of women because that group of women may be going from a completely no-carb diet to now they're adding, a, you know, maybe a slice of whole wheat bread and they're adding a little bit of, uh, I don't know, they're adding vegetables and they're adding some fruits back in, all you know, all these healthy things into the diet. And that may be beneficial. But to tell somebody who's already eating a moderate to higher carbohydrate diet that they don't need to cut carbohydrates for a condition that has insulin as a driver is dangerous advice, I think, because it's it's confusing. You're, you're basically telling people that you 
that if you cut <laughs> that if you cut carbs, you know, you're doing some sort of damage to your health when the opposite is really the reality in this condition. And that that's what that's just what confuses me. I get I mean, I get it in some ways. This is soundbite culture. We have to do things that sound good and make for good reels and get good engagement. And certainly, certainly people don't want to hear cut carbs. Uh, I don't think any person in the history of ever has wanted to be told, yes, cut your carbs. (laughs) We love carbs. Carbs are wonderful. Carbs are an energy source. Carbs taste delicious. Nobody wants to be told to cut carbs. Um, so it's, it's always very validating to hear exactly what you wanted to hear. Um, however, the reality is that some carbohydrate restriction is necessary. Now, back to my previous point of what is a low-carb diet, this is where we have to get into the research and really see because by and large, the research is not talking about very low-carbohydrate diets. So diets that are less than, um, I be- most of the studies for very low-carb diets are like between uh, 25 and 50 grams a day. You know, there's it's a very low percentage of, of the daily macro count or whatever. Um, they're not really talking about that, but a lot of the, the studies kind of call a low carb diet, anything under like 150 grams a day or 125 grams a day. Um, and honestly, that's, there's a lot of variation there. So there's, there's a ton of variation between a diet that has 20 grams of carbs a day and a diet that has 125 grams of carbs a day. You see what I mean? And that's why it's so confusing to know what to do because your version of low carb and my version of low carb might be different. Uh, so I think that when we, when we make these kind of blanket statements, don't cut carbs, we're missing the greater point, which is that, uh, we need to cut carbs. The majority of us are eating far more than 150 grams of carbs a day if we're eating a standard American diet. And in those cases, yes, I believe that there do need, there does need to be carb restriction here. Um, but how much do we need to cut? That depends largely on you. That depends on the, your goals. Um, is weight loss a goal for you? Is it not a goal for you? Is weight gain a goal for you? You know, that, that changes things. Do you do resistance training, strength training? And how often do you do that? That changes things. Um, how about cardio? How much cardio do you do? So the more exercise that you do, um, especially the more weight training that you do, but even cardiovascular exercise, the more carbohydrate you might, um, benefit from might be helpful for your goals. Uh, then again, some people have a lower tolerance for carbohydrates than others. If you have type 2 diabetes um, or you're pre-diabetic, you may already be kind of far gone on the hyperinsulinemia train to where now you're not making excessive insulin. Now you're not making enough, right? And in those cases, uh, carbohydrate restriction sometimes has to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more intense in order to really see benefits. <sighs> And what's cool now is that we can do things like, like what I've been doing lately, which is wearing a continuous glucose monitor, right? And we can see how carbohydrates affect our body. I have always wondered because when I was younger, I used to get hypoglycemic like almost every day. I mean, when I was growing up, elementary, middle school, high school, I had no idea about blood sugar or any of that. I didn't realize that I had hyperinsulinemia, but I've definitely had it since I was a little kid because I recall being in elementary school and having episodes of hypoglycemia. Um, and 
you know, having very low blood sugar. And I know what that feels like because it happened to me so much. And uh, it was so, you know, it's so particular, that kind of weak, shaky feeling, that insatiable need to eat something um, and feeling better after you eat, especially if you eat something with carbohydrates. I clearly remember also being very lactose intolerant. Um, I've had a whey protein issues since I was a kid and have never tolerated milk, yet they would give us milk with with school lunch every day and I would drink it. And guess what? Every afternoon I'd have uh, gas, bloating, stomach aches. You know, it was it was so embarrassing and I had no idea what was going on. Um, and now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, oh, well, that's what was happening, you know, and I wish I could have like helped myself back then. But especially with the hypoglycemia, you know, I had that issue all throughout my childhood and early adulthood. And it's actually, it is actually, the hypoglycemia is actually the symptom that, that led me down the pathway to my diagnosis of PCOS. So it's the thing that got me to the doctor because I, I was, my, it was really my, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, was concerned about me, um, because it's not normal, you know, what was happening to me. And he's like, uh, can you, can you go to the doctor, please? Um, and I said, okay, fine, I'll go. You know, I was kind of like, eh, how about going to the doctor? And I went and, um, I've told this story before, but the doctor that I saw was kind of a jerk. And he, <laughs> he told me that I had w- what he called quote unquote teenage girl disease. Uh, so he ve- was very dismissive of the hypoglycemia, but eventually I found medical professionals who took me seriously and put together the pieces like, okay, I have PCOS. I get hypoglycemia. I have hyperinsulinemia, et cetera, et cetera. And that has been the story of my, you know, relationship with food since then. Um, and so managing hypoglycemia is very similar to managing type 2 diabetes, very similar to managing prediabetes, very similar, similar to managing PCOS in that it requires some carbohydrate restriction so that you're not sending yourself into these big spikes and then these big drops, So when you make too much insulin or when you're insulin resistant, you eat something like, let's say, a pastry or a bowl of cereal. This was my this was my Achilles heel for so long bowl of cereal for breakfast. It spikes your blood sugar really fast and it takes it up over the normal range. So for for most people, that normal range is 140. It spikes you up over that. That causes your body to create more insulin to try to bring it down quickly because it's dangerous for your blood sugar to get too high. And it ends up bringing it down too much and taking it too low. And when your blood sugar is low, that's when you get hypoglycemic symptoms, right? So I figured out um, in my early 20s how to avoid this. And the biggest way that I found out how to avoid it was to, first of all, avoid excessive carbohydrate consumption. So I stopped eating cereal. I didn't eat cereal for breakfast anymore. Or if I did, I would have it with some sort of like protein source, like just a couple pieces of bacon or some sausage or something. I figured out that if the meal was more filling and, uh, then, then it would last me longer and I wouldn't get hypoglycemic before lunch. I also learned to swap that out for different things. I learned that having, um, you know, uh, protein shakes. So I used to drink. I feel it's it's terrible, but I used to drink like Slim Fast shakes, okay? And I liked those a lot. I always liked Nesquik and Slim Fast and 
I like the taste of them, you know, I like a good chocolate protein shake. I used to drink those for breakfast and, and uh, you know, those would give me a stomach ache, but they wouldn't give me hypoglycemia. Um, so I started like putting the pieces together. By the time I got to where I was um, be- starting to go through my master's program to become a nutritionist, I had already got this hypoglycemia stuff figured out and uh, I felt pretty good about my blood sugar balance. But what I didn't realize until recently wearing this glucose monitor is how timing of eating, what time of the day you're eating, um, and how much carbohydrate you're eating at one time and with what you're eating it um, can really make a difference in how severe that spike is. Uh, so I've realized, you know, certain things that before I thought were fine because they wouldn't make me hypoglycemic we're still spiking my blood sugar above 140. Um, and so that's been really fascinating. And I think that that is really valuable information. Um, I have learned so much just about myself and my tolerance for carbohydrates by wearing this thing. And I don't want, I'm not going to get too much into it today because I, I will be interviewing um, the dietitian who like are on staff at NutriSense and, and we're going to talk about my experience and all the, you know, different experiments that I ran and everything during this. So I don't, I want to go, go into it too much. I just I don't want to spoil it, but um, absolutely probably one of the most uh, illuminating and helpful things that I've done for myself uh, testing wise in a long time. And of course I have access to a lot of cool tests and things. You know, I network with functional med doctors. I do functional testing, um, here that's within my scope of practice, nutrition related functional testing. So I I've done some cool stuff, you know, I've checked my micronutrients and I've checked my genetics and, and those were all really helpful and, and illuminating. But getting my, wearing this glucose monitor and seeing in real time how different meals that I thought were okay or that I thought I was skating by with um, were affecting me is like really fascinating. Um, so I highly recommend it. I mean, I, I, I do have a code. So if you want to look at getting one, I recommend, I mean, I recommend this company. Obviously I'm working with them. Um, it's called NutriSense and there's a, there is a code that I'll put in the description box of this. It's Amber 25. So if you go on their website and you check out and you do use Amber 25, they'll give you $25 off. So it's an expensive device. I won't lie. Like continuous glucose monitors are expensive. I believe you can use like HSA funds for them though. Um, if you have that and, uh, and you know, you don't wear, you don't need it forever. You wear it for a couple of weeks and then you, and you test different things and then you have such a better idea of how, like, this is going to change the way that I eat completely. And I, I want to say too, that just, wearing this for, I think I've been wearing it for about a week, a little bit more than a week. I've already lost like three pounds. Uh, (laughs) just because like, I realized different things were kind of like messing me up that I thought I was getting away with. And so I've like cut back on those things and a lot, and they were carb based. Like one of the things that I realized was messing me up was eating carbohydrates with my dinner. Um, see, I thought like, okay, if I keep my carb levels sort of balanced throughout the day, then having some at dinner won't be that big of a deal. But what I realized is that for me, at least circadian rhythms play a big role in my carb digestion. And so if I have potatoes, 
even pastries, like, you know, carb things in the morning or the early afternoon, I seem to tolerate them fine, you know, within reason. Okay, like, uh, I still have to moderate myself, but within reason, I can enjoy most of the things that I like. However, if I have, you know, um, if I have something with like bread or breading on it, uh, pasta, you know, grain based stuff, and even if I have too much potato, like I tend to tolerate potato a little bit more um, than I do breads. But if I have that with dinner, like even just like a moderate amount, it spikes my blood sugar a lot more than that same meal would if I had it earlier in the day. And so that's been really fascinating, you know, Um, and it's helped me lose a few pounds because like I don't want to spike my blood sugar because I realize, like, oh, when I do that, like, hey, my blood sugar gets to 145 and I start to feel like crap and I don't want to feel like that. So it's it's really, really, really illuminating things for me. But it's also showing me just it's reiterating to me the importance of moderation in PCOS, daily moderation, um, not just moderating your carb your carb intake for a diet and to lose weight, but moderating your carb intake for life to live a healthier life and to feel better. It's not, it's not just a weight thing, guys. It's a quality of life thing. You feel so much better when your blood sugar is not all over the place. You have consistent energy. Um, another thing that I kind of deal with that, uh, I've been dealing with for a long time is adrenal dysfunction. I have like (laughs) what would be classified as stage two adrenal dysfunction. I have high cortisol in the morning. I have low cortisol in the afternoon and um, I don't get a second wind anymore at night, but I used to. And so I, um, I used to think that that feeling was the feeling of having my blood sugar too high. And I used to think like, what is it that I'm eating here? That's like messing things up. And I'm realizing now that's not what that is. It's just the feeling of my adrenals kind of like sputtering out for a little while. Um, my cortisol being too low. So it's, it's just been fascinating. Um, I know those of you who are following me on Instagram, hopefully it's been as fascinating for you as it has been for me, but I consider myself really an open book. Um, I always try to be honest about the fact that like, I'm living this too. I I go through this stuff too. And I have learned a lot and I have changed a lot over the years, but I'm not always right. And I'm not always perfect. And I've changed my mind, you know, since I started, I used to back in the day. And if you listen to the early episodes of this, this podcast, you'll probably see some episodes on keto because I used to use keto. Um, and with relatively good outcomes, like, um, in the short term, it was that longer term group that had more issues with constipation and things like that. And and I just realized that it wasn't as healthful for the microbiome, but I had good results in the short term because it reduced insulin and that's such a driver. So that moderating of your carb intake, that understanding of how you process carbohydrates and what your tolerance level is for these things um, is just huge. You know, somebody who's sedentary is going to tolerate a lot less carbohydrate in their diet and might need to eat closer to a keto diet. Whereas someone who is very active and uh, does a lot of weight training and stuff, they may not really notice a need for 
you know, much carbohydrate restriction, um, comparatively to like the population at large. Right. So, um, so yeah, so the idea that it, that it doesn't matter and that we don't need to do that is kind of just annoying to me. (laughs) It's just annoying because I'm like, aren't we here to help people? And why are we confusing the issue? Why are we not basing our recommendations off the latest research? And, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many studies that say like, we put women with PCOS on a lower carbohydrate diet. Here's how their chronic inflammation, IL-6 numbers lowered. And here's how their baseline, blah, 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 lowered. And here's how they lost this much weight. It's like, okay, so what are we doing? Um, but I'll also say too, that, that the studies aren't um, again, it's, it's, a, it's like under 150, under 125 grams of carbs a day. Um, so it's not like this super, super low carb thing. So they're recommending, um, diets like the Mediterranean diet, diets like the DASH diet. I don't know if you've ever heard of the DASH diet. I, I, um, I studied it quite a bit in school. Um, I don't use it a ton. I mean, I base my, my diets are all customized. So there's DASH diet principles in my diet, but, um, the Ornit, like the Ornish diet and the Dash diet and all that stuff, I didn't really connect with as much from a nutrition perspective. If, you know, and the, the research is pretty positive on the Dash diet, actually. So, you know, I've been like paying attention to that. But the majority of the research that's been done on diet has been done on um, the Mediterranean diet. And there's really, really good evidence that that's helpful for PCOS. And Mediterranean diet isn't a low carb diet. You know, it's a lower carb diet. Uh, and especially, I think, done right and done well for PCOS, we cut, you know, quite a bit of those those starches, like the pastas and the rice and the other things that you're probably like, Ooh, I can have that on Mediterranean. I'm like, okay, well, yes, but maybe in a smaller portion, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but that's a, a great diet. And that's kind of what they're looking at when they look at low carb. So, so yeah, I hope that you guys agree with me. Um, <laughs> if not, uh, you know, that's you, you are entitled to your opinion. As we all are, I try to formulate my nutrition opinions based on what I see work in real time for real people. And I can just tell you that like in my practice, I do do have my clients do some carb restriction. Um, I don't put them on keto, but I do reduce their carbohydrates and, um, and it usually uh, works really, really well. And they feel a lot better once they get used to it and um, they have more energy and they, their blood work improves and their cholesterol goes down and their good cholesterol goes up and all that stuff. And that's what matters, right? The outcome is what matters, not the, not the, um, what do they call that when politicians talk and, uh, they're not really saying anything. They're just talking for talking's sake. You know, that kind of stuff, this, this, um, think tank of the internet where all of us are trying to find new clients by posting informational content. And we're all trying to, to create a niche for ourselves. We're all trying to create this leg up situation for ourselves. And sometimes we, we say things that are more controversial than they need to be for likes and views. 
that kind of thing doesn't help people. So um, I hope I hope that you have found my content to be helpful. Um, as I promised when I started my Instagram a little over a year ago, that I would not always tell you what you wanted to hear, but I would always be honest with you as far as I could be. Um, you know, as far as I knew things to be true, I would tell you the truth. And this is the truth as I see it. Carb restriction, somewhat important in PCOS. Okay. Well, that was my soapbox for today. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I want to mention a couple of things. So I mentioned on Instagram that I am working on a PCOS course. So you may have seen that, you know, I used to have, um, I had my PCOS Patreon group. And if you listen to past episodes, you see me promo that. That is on hold at the moment. And there we're not allowing um, new members. Uh, however, I will say that a couple of people did like somehow sign up, even though it's supposed to be unpublished. So it must, it's probably something on my end um, that I'm not, not doing right. But if you go on my Patreon group, um, it's, it is closed at the moment. Now you can get back, um, you can get like all the stuff still up there. So if you want to like look back at like the videos and things like that, you're welcome to, you know, join and, and do that. But, um, but that group is closed right now because I am working on a course for PCOS that I am perfecting at the moment with a tentative launch date of sometime in October. Um, I'm really excited about this and I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be really helpful. Basically what I'm trying to do is put all in one place, my, my opinions about how to work on your PCOS, how to address it, um, for your overall health. And I have plans in the future of having a course that's based on, um, PCOS fertility specifically. And then I have plans for an IVF, um, or fertility treatments course. I have plans for a postmenopause with PCOS course. So I have a lot of plans, but the first one is going to be like a general PCOS sort of like help you through the process, help you find a healthy balance for you thing. And, um, it's going to come from, you know, my, my functional, um, nutrition perspective, which is hopefully, um, something that is in the middle. It's balanced. I use evidence-based recommendations and, and not just what I read in research studies and what I learn in continuing ed, but stuff that I see actually, work with my actual clients. And I work with a lot of people with PCOS. So I'm excited. Um, so if you want to be in the loop on that, um, you can add, add your name to like a, a wait list where I'm going to like let you guys know, Hey, the course is live and you know, you can go look at it. So, um, all you have to do is sign up for either sign up for my newsletter and you'll get information that way, which you can do at my website, or you can go um, to the email address that's linked below here and write an email and just say, Hey, can you keep my email on your list and we will add you. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys have a really great week. Thank you for listening to me and talk soon. If you learn 
learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.